Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, and we'll be looking today at verses 33 through 37, and uh, I really appreciate you guys being with us this morning. I know this is an unusual thing. It's out of the ordinary for us. Uh, we are typically in, uh, uh, together as a church, and that's what we want to be as a church family. We, we, uh, we love the people, and that, that's what matters in the church. There's an old nursery rhyme that goes, and I'm going to see if I can get my hands right on this. this. This is the church, and this is the steeple, and you open the doors, and you see all the people. Well, right now, it's unusual in that we here's the church, here's the steeple, and you open the doors, and it's just me, Roger, and Brandon sitting here preaching to a camera. Uh, so it's a little bit unusual, or a lot unusual. Uh, so we're doing our best with it. So we want to keep uh, some things normal, some things usual, some things ordinary. And that one thing is that we're going to preach the Word of God. Uh, Paul said that in 2 Timothy as he was dying. He's sending a letter to, to, uh, to Timothy, and he said... Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, when people want to hear it and when they don't. So that's what we're going to do in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad. We want one thing to remain, and that is the preaching of the word of God. So that's what we're going to do today. That's what we're going to do uh, every service that we have. We're going to keep this the usual, the normal. We may not have the people here, but we have the people here. And I am so glad that you've joined us. I'm glad that our people are on the other side of that screen here this morning. And, and I want you to know that I love you and that I'm praying for you. And I look forward to opening up the Word of God with you here this morning. Again, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 12, uh, verses 33 through 37. And I want you to, to answer a big question today. Uh, it's, it's not the biggest question, but it is a very big question that I want to answer today. And it is, what is man's biggest problem? What is man's biggest problem? And, and in these verses here, Jesus will show us what uh, every, everybody's biggest problem is. And it's my biggest problem. It's, it's my... My wife's biggest problem, it's my kid's biggest problem, it's your biggest problem, it's every man's biggest problem. So we want to look at it today, and I want to give you a solution to that problem by the time we're done with this sermon. So that gives you something to look forward to at the end, so you don't turn me off. I want to pre present to you the problem, and by the time the sermon's over with, here about 50 minutes later, you're going to have the solution to man's biggest problem. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can follow along with us, and just a few short verses here will show you man's biggest problem. Starting in verse 33, these are the words of Christ. And if Jesus says this is our biggest problem, then it's our biggest problem. These aren't my words, these are his words, and he's speaking it authoritatively. So verse 33, he says, Either make the tree good, and its fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt, and its fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by its fruit. Verse 34, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the, the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So in those few short verses, Jesus shows us man's biggest problem. So before we get into it, as we always do, I want to pray, and I'd ask that you pray with us and for us as we do this this morning, as the, the Word of God goes out to who knows how many people, that it would be fruitful. So let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we thank you for your Word and that there is no containing it. Uh, they're isolating us and keeping us in our homes, and we're unable to get out and to be around the people that we normally would. God, I'm sitting here preaching to an almost empty auditorium. But I'm thankful that your word is going out to, uh, we saw last week, thousands of people. And God, I pray that as it goes out, that you would use it by the power of your spirit 
to accomplish exactly what you've set it out to do, that it would go through that screen and grab a hold of the hearts of the people on the other end, that we would do some real serious soul searching this morning as we examine man's greatest problem. So God, teach us here this morning, help me. Now this is, this is awkward, this is unusual, this is out of the ordinary even for me. But as I climb and stand behind this pulpit, I pray that you would honor the preaching of your word. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you're on, online here this morning, I want to ask you a question. And you can think about it. I know I'm not going to get any answers. But I want you to think about it as I'm asking. And I'll give you a few options here. I want to ask that question, what do you think man's biggest problem is? What, what do you think it is? As you look at your own life and say, what is my biggest problem? And you could probably create a, a list of things that are problems in your life that you would like to fix. It could be a health thing. We could say that right now, that man's biggest problem is a physical problem. It's a sickness. It's a, it's a coronavirus that uh, seems like it's spreading all over the globe right now. That is man's biggest problem, and we need a solution to that. But I would say that's not man's biggest problem. It is a big problem, but it's not man's biggest problem. That's the reason we don't deal with it a whole lot here, because I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, a medical doctor that's going to help you fix that problem. That's not man's biggest problem. You could say, well, it's financial, and that's the problem that they're having right now, is, is with our economy going the way it is, and with our, our health going the way it is, which one is, is the bigger problem that we've got to fix? Is it the money, or is it our physical health? What is man's biggest problem? And I'll say this, it's not financial. You may be having financial problems right now, but that's not your biggest problem. You, should, you could say it's environmental, and I hear that all the time as, as our politicians are constantly throwing in our face that, that man's biggest problem in the world right now is the environment, that, that we have global warming, that we have climate change, and, and that is the existential threat to our society is climate change. We hear it's the environmental. I'm going to say, no, it's not. Some people would say, hey, it's, it's political. And I know that's a big problem in our, in our nation right now as our Democrats and our Republicans are seemingly at each other's throats at all times. But that's not man's biggest problem. You could say it's personal. I, Josh, you don't know my problem, so you can't tell me what my biggest problem is. I know I don't know your problems, and you don't know mine, but I'll tell you this, that those problems, whatever they are, aren't your biggest problem. So you say, what is it? What is man's biggest problem? It's, it's, these problems are big, but they're not the biggest, because... These problems, whether it's financial or political or environmental or even physical, aren't going to send you to hell. The biggest problem is what's going to send you to hell and condemn you for all eternity. So, so what is it? Man's biggest problem isn't outside of us. It isn't around us. Man's biggest problem is inside of us. It's a spiritual problem. It's a deep down in our heart problem. Down deep in, into, it's a heart problem. It's not the physical heart that's in my chest beating right now, a little bit, probably a little bit faster than it normally does. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the spiritual heart, the real me, the one that, that's deep down in who I am, down where nobody else sees. The part of me that is my mind, my emotions, my will, my thoughts, my convictions, my beliefs, my attitudes, down deep where it matters, down deep where nobody else can see, that's my heart. Down where God sees. First Samuel says that. This is where God looks. Man looks on the outside, but God looks at the, the heart. And he's not talking about that organ that's beating in our chest. He's talking about deep down in, in the real me. That's where our problem lies. Down deep inside of us. 
See, we can all try to fix these problems that are around us and outside of us, but only God can fix the problem that is within us in the heart. And that's what Jesus is going to say in this passage here today. That's the Pharisees' real problem. And the Pharisees have a lot of problems, but their real problem is a heart problem. And as we've been going back and forth with the Pharisees, Jesus and the Pharisees having a a conflict back and forth, and we know that the Pharisees, as you look at them on the outside, they put on a good show. They, they, they have a good song and dance. They wear the clothes. They wear the hats. They act religious. I mean, on the outside, they were beautiful. They had all the externals, all the appearances, all the facade on the outside. They were pious, respected, and deeply religious. They looked amazing on the outside. When people saw the Pharisees pass by, they thought, wow, look at those guys. I want to be like them. But, and this is a big but, Jesus is about to open the hood of the car and check out the engine. Jesus is about to show them the real condition of the heart. Not where men can see, but only where God can see. Jesus in this passage is going to show them their heart. And in showing them their heart, He's showing them their biggest problem, the the condition of their heart. He shows them in these verses, and He's going to show us too, who we really are. We can pretend to be a lot on the outside. But who are we really? Who are we when nobody else is around? Jesus is going to show them who they really are deep down. And when He shows them here, it's not pretty. As He shows them their heart, He's going to show them, and He's going to say some hard things here. And maybe you're going to hear some hard things from me today. It was hard for me to hear. This isn't the type of sermon that, that, that's going to get me a lot of views and a lot of likes and a lot of comments and a lot of shares because this is heart-searching, soul-searching Preaching right here. It's going to get down deep underneath everything. All the facades that we put on. All the masks that we wear. This is going to dig deep. It's, it's heart surgery. Open heart surgery here. And he's going to show them they got a corrupt heart. An evil heart. An ugly heart. And they didn't even know it. Our hearts can deceive us. That's what the Bible says. They're deceptively wicked. And who can know it? You can't, we can't really know our own hearts, let alone somebody else's. So Jesus is going to show us our hearts here today. He's going to exam, we're going to have an examination of the heart to see who we really are deep down on the inside. And we need to do this. You need to stay with me. You need to tune in. You need to be on the, on the edge of your couch paying attention to what this says because we're living in a time when we need to do some, some soul searching and see if we're really right with God. And that's what this is going to be. We need to do this. So you say, how can we do it? If we can't see it and nobody else can see it, how do we examine our hearts? (laughs) Jesus gives us three ways here to see our own hearts. Three things that reveal a person's heart. And it's just one level after the other, just like peeling back an onion. This will reveal your heart. This will reveal your heart. And this will reveal your heart. So let's do some soul searching. And look at our hearts. I'd write these things down and I would check my heart. I have this week. So I want you today to check your heart. Let's look at it. As we look at man's biggest problem. And it's a problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. So let's look at it. Number one, I want to show you verse 33. I want to show you that the life reveals the heart. 
Our lives that we live reveals our hearts. The lives that we live on a day-by-day basis will reveal our true heart. And that's, that's what's going on here in verse 33 as Jesus, and I want to give you some context in this passage. I don't want you to forget what we've already gone over, what Jesus has already done to get us to this point. Because just in chapter 12 alone, I don't want to go back to 11 or 10, that would take us all day long. But just in chapter 12, I want to show you the works that He's done. Early in chapter 12, on the Sabbath day, he walked into the synagogue and saw a man sitting who had a withered hand, which means he couldn't use that hand. And Jesus looks at him and, and he says, stretch forth your hand. And this is a good thing. I mean, you know this. He, he heals the man's hand to the point where his hand is restored just like the other one. It's a miracle. So that's, that's one good thing that he's done just in chapter 12. And then he goes on, we talked about it last week, that he doesn't just heal a withered hand, but he walks up and finds a man with a demon who's deaf, dumb, and blind. The demon had caused this man to be deaf, dumb, and blind. And Jesus casts the demon out to where now he's restored. He can see, he can talk, and he can hear. That's a miracle. That is wonderful. That is a good thing that he's done. And again, that's just two things in chapter 12 that he's done. There are thousands more good things that Jesus has done just in the time that he's been there. Raising the dead, healing the sick. He's done some good things. All that's good. Healing, good. Casting out demons, good. If a doctor did those things, you would look at him and say, that's good. But the Pharisees have said about Jesus, he does good. That's undeniable. But he is evil. Do you see that? He does good, does good things. But he, in his person, in his character, deep down in his heart, he is evil. That's what they're saying. He performs miracles, but it's by Satan. They're saying here that Jesus has good fruit in his life, but the tree, the root, is bad. They hate him so much that, that, he is Ill, that, that, that they are illogical and, and unreasonable and out of their minds that they would look at him and say, you're doing good, but you are a bad person. That's what they're saying here. And Jesus gives one of his favorite parables in verse 33. One of his favorite lines. It's like he has it on repeat. He says, consider the tree. Consider the fruit. That's what he says here. This is very easy. Look what he says. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or, or the tree corrupt, and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by its fruit. So what he says there is, how do we judge a tree? If I wanted to look at a tree and say, is that tree good or is that tree bad? I would go up to that tree and I wouldn't have to, to dig it up and dig down into the roots to see if it's good or not in the roots. I'm just going to take a fruit off of that tree and look at it. And if the, the fruit is good, then I can say that the tree is good. And if I go and grab on the tree and I grab a piece of fruit off that tree and it's bad, I can say that the tree is also bad. You judge a tree by its fruit. You evaluate a tree by what it produces. If the fruit is bad, the tree is bad. If the fruit is good, then the tree is good. A good tree will not produce bad fruit, and a bad tree will not produce a good fruit. This is not rocket science. This is easy. Jesus is making it very easy for them. So what he's saying is, judge me by my fruit. That's what he's going on here. Look at what I've done. Look at my life. 
and tell me with the fruit of my life, what I am accomplishing, what I am producing, three years of ministry, is it good or is it bad? Look at my resume and you tell me, is Jesus, is His fruit good or is it bad? And the answer is very easy. You evaluate Jesus' fruit, His works, what He produces, and we could all say, even the Pharisees could say, Everything that he's done in his life has been good. That's what he's saying here. Judge me by my fruit. If my fruit is good, and it is. If I'm healing people, and that's good. If I'm casting out demons, that's good. If I'm raising the dead, that's good. If I'm feeding thousands, that's good. All these good things that he's doing, all the good fruit means that he can't be an evil person. He can't be bad. He can't be of Satan. Jesus must also be good. That's what he's saying there. Look at me and tell me, based upon my life, is my heart good or bad? He says it again, and I don't want to take a whole lot of time to do this, but he says the same thing repeatedly in the gospel. In the Gospels, John 10, verse 25, he says, you don't have to turn there, but he says, and Jesus answered him and told him, uh, and I told you, I, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. What I'm doing, my works show you who I am and what I am. He, he goes on to say in verse 37, if I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in Him. He makes it very clear there that look at my life. If you don't want to believe my words, then look at my life, what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, and you tell me whether my heart is good or whether my heart is bad. His nature, His character, His life reveals His heart. So let me ask you this. You know that. That's easy. But let me ask you this. What do our lives say? What do our lives scream to the world? Jesus' life screamed good fruit, good root. Good works, good man. What do our lives scream? What does our life reveal about our heart? I want you to turn with me, if you have your Bibles there in front of you, just a couple pages over. And that's one of the things I miss most about preaching to a, to a congregation, is I love saying turn, and I can hear those pages turn throughout the congregation. I hope they're turning as you're at your houses right now. But here I want you to see in Matthew 15, verse 19, Jesus makes this very clear, that, that our lives show our hearts. As you look at your own life, you tell me what is flowing out of your heart and showing your life. He says in verse 19, for out of the heart proceeds, out of the heart. And if you have an ink pen there, I would, I would underline proceeds because you know your heart pumps blood to the rest of our bodies. And that's, that's what it's doing all the time. It's pumping blood to our bodies. If our heart goes bad, it quits flowing. It quits uh, pumping it out. It, it quits flowing out into our bodies. And that's what he's saying here. Not about a physical organ in our bodies, but about our spiritual hearts. That it, it pumps out. It, it proceeds out. It, it flows out everywhere else in our lives. What's down here is going to pump out in how we live our lives. And, and he says here, look what he says. So out of the heart proceeds. Evil thoughts, murders. I, mean, I can just go down this list. Murders, 
People murder other people because they got an evil heart. Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount that if you hate somebody in your heart, you've committed murder already. It's a heart thing. Flows out of the heart. That's why it's the man's biggest problem. Murder isn't the biggest problem. It is a consequence of the biggest problem, the heart. It's pumping out murder. There's murders in our world because there's murderous hearts that's pumping it out. And he goes on to say more. Murders come out of the heart. Look at this. Adulteries come out of the heart. Why do people commit adultery? Because it's pumping out of an adulterous heart. He even said that if you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already because that's where it comes from. It's not what you do on the outside that's the biggest problem. It's who you are on the inside that's the biggest problem. So how we act shows who we are. That's pretty good. Evil acts gush out of evil hearts. He goes on. Out of your heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, big word, fornications. <laughs> Fornication means all unlawful, rank, lewd acts. You name a sexual act that is lewd, and that's what fornications is talking about. All those sexual evil acts that are in our world today, it's not those acts that, that, that are the biggest problem. It's the heart that, that is evil and adulterous and, and fornicating that is causing those things. It's a heart problem. We're not going to deal with each and every little symptom. We've got to get to the main problem, which is the heart. And he goes on. Let's go on. He says thefts. He says false witness. He says blasphemies. It's exactly what the Pharisees had just committed. It was blasphemies. What they just said about Jesus wasn't necessarily the words. It was where it came from, the heart. Mark, the same passage, lists these things that come out of the heart. Greed comes from the heart. Wickedness, all forms of it, comes from the heart. Moral debauchery comes from the heart. People that live like animals and do what, they, what feels good, flowing out of a bad heart. All the evil problems in our world today are just symptoms of a greater problem, which is the problem of the heart. All these things that take place in our world has one problem, and it's the heart. That's why we preach the gospel, because it's the power of, the God, and of God and the salvation of all who believe that will change the heart. And we'll get to that. All these things that he says in verse 19, all these stinking, filthy, rotten acts... He says, comes from the heart. So you tell me, what does your life say about your heart? The way you live on a day-to-day -day basis, your walk, where you put one foot in front of the other, where you wake up in the morning and you live your life and people see you and watch you, what does your life scream about you? Does it scream what Matthew 15 here says? Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries. And let's not even say murders. So you say, I ain't murdered nobody. Let's say evil thoughts and hate and lust and fornication and theft and greed and false witness and lies and blasphemies and slander. And we could go on and on and on. Does it say that your heart is wicked and evil and corrupt and ugly? Is that what it says? He's examining the heart and you can examine your heart and, and, and see it in, in your day-to-day -day life. What does it reveal? For me, you don't know what it screams about me? I gotta hurry. It screams I'm not good. Let's not pretend that. I hear people say that all the time. Oh, he's got a good heart. <laughs> we talking about the same guy here? 
I'm not decent. I'm not good. When we open up my heart and examine it for what it really is, my life screams, I need a Savior. It's exactly what it screams. And it's what your heart screams too. Because there's only one man who ever did perfectly good in everything. That all of his fruit, all of his actions, all of his works, all of his words, all of his thoughts, every, everything was perfect. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. I need His righteousness. Because mine is wicked and evil. i got a darkened heart is what I have. So the truth is, our lives scream a heart problem and a need of a Savior. So let's move back to Matthew 12. And just, you, just in case you think you're okay, and your life says that you're good, let's take it a step further and go deeper here. Because he says the life reveals the heart. Second, he says our lips reveal the heart. Our lips reveal our heart. Every time we speak, we are telling everybody what's deep down in our heart. And he says that here. He says in verse 34, and he makes it plain and clear what he thinks about these Pharisees. He says, I've already seen your hearts, and I know what they are. Only God can see the heart, and he's seen their heart. He's heard their heart. He knows their hearts. And he says, oh, you generation of vipers. You see that? That's not making any friends there. He fears no man. He withholds not one bit of truth. He's not tickling any ears. He's bold. He's courageous. He tells them how it is. And he calls them a bunch of snakes. Vipers. And that word generation is a brood of vipers. You're a pit of snakes. Not just one, but you open it up and they're all sitting there hissing at Jesus. Snapping at Him. That's what he says. You brood of vipers. You bunch of snakes. You're like Satan himself what he says it's how evil their hearts are he says you're snakes and that viper i don't have a whole lot of time to tell you what a viper is you know what a poisonous snake is in that era in that place in that time in the desert a viper was disguised it was deceptive and it would jump up and bite people and they didn't even know it. It would, it would blend in with the sand. It would blend in with the, the logs. And you wouldn't even see it coming and it would bite you. It's the same kind of a snake that bit Paul, I think, in Acts 27 and jumped out of the, the firewood and snatched onto his arm and wouldn't let go. And he says, that's what you are. You're a bunch of vipers. And then he takes it a step further. And he says, and how can you, being evil... <laughs> He actually says you being evil. Not you who are doing evil, but you who are evil. Deep down in your heart, in the inside of who they really are, he says you Pharisees are evil. Deep down. That's a big claim here. Oh, generation of vipers, you snakes. You're like Satan himself. How can you who are being evil, you're not doing evil, you are evil. We need, we need to differentiate, differentiate there between doing evil and being evil. We do evil because we are evil. <laughs> oh, generation of vipers, you are evil. You can't even speak good things. So how does he prove that? What's the evidence that these people are evil? You say, how can Jesus be so judgmental that he calls them snakes and evil? He has to have some proof. He has to back that up. Well, watch what he says. For, because, here's why they're evil. Here's how he knows. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
Out of the abundance or out of the overflow of the heart. What's down in your heart will flow out of your mouth. It's like our mouths are the overflow. And as it spills, as our heart spills out, it's going to spill out in, of our mouths. And what's down in there is going to spill out of here. If, if it's ugly and, and nasty down here, it's going to come out ugly and nasty out here. I, I'll put it this way. I, I'm, I'm constantly drinking coffee at my house. And this is a silly illustration, but I want you to understand this. And I, I get my boys to go and pour me coffee. And they, and they always do. They're so good about pouring me coffee. They're my little baristas. And they'll go and, and they'll pour me coffee and they'll bring it to me. And I've told them time and time and time again. But I think they think it's funny because when they bring it back, they're just barely holding it on because it's, it's at the top of the brim. And they'll hand it to me on the couch. And all it takes is one dog tail hitting me. <laughs> and that coffee's all over my lap. Now let me ask you this. That coffee, as it overflows over, out onto my lap, what's going to hit my lap? Will water hit my lap? Will Pepsi hit my lap? Will orange juice hit my lap? You say, no, Josh, that's silly. Coffee's going to hit your lap. Because there's coffee in the mug, what overflows out of the mug is going to flow onto you. And that's exactly what he's saying here. What's deep down in here, if it's evil in here, good's not going to come out. If it's good down in here, then evil's not going to come out. Whatever's down in here is going to flow out of here and be the same thing. And he gives another illustration here. Verse 35, a good man out of the good treasure. Now he goes from a, a cup to a treasure. So let's say I've reached my hand down in a treasure chest. And I put my hand down in the treasure chest and I reach out and I get some stuff. If there's good in the treasure chest, then I can only pick up good in my hand. But if there's evil in the treasure chest, then I'm going to pick up evil in my hand. I'm, if it's all good in the treasure chest, I'm not going to pick up evil and vice versa. That's what he's saying. So what's down in here is going to come out here. Adrian Rogers said it this way, and I, I like this even better. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. You can't get nothing that, that, out, out from down there that's not down there. So that's the illustration he's making there. And you say, what's he teaching here? Write this down. Our mouths are a dead giveaway of our hearts. Matthew Henry says men's language discovers what country they're from. If I stand up here and I have a, let's say this, if I stand up here and I speak French, where would you say I'm from? It would be dumb for somebody to say, oh, he's speaking French. He must be from Germany. No. Well, if I got up here and spoke German, and I thought about saying some German words or some French words, but I really messed up the Spanish words last week, so I won't do that. So, but if I got up here and I said, and I spoke in German, nobody in their right mind would say, he's from France. Or if I got up here and I spoke redneck, like, like I do, most of you are going to say, he has to be from, from Pound. He can't be from California. He can't be from New York. He has to be redneck from Pound because our, our mouths are a dead giveaway for who we are and where we're from. So here's the question. It's the same thing spiritually. When we speak, people are going to either say, that guy's from heaven or that guy's from hell. We'll have the words of godliness or the words of evil. How we speak is a dead giveaway for who we are.
Our lips reveal our heart. So what do our lips say? We can already tell you what it says about the Pharisees. He says they're evil and they're vipers and they're snakes. <laughs> That's the truth. Based solely upon what they've said about Jesus, they are as evil as they come. They had just said last week in the sermon the most blasphemous words that's ever been uttered in the history of the world. They saw Jesus doing the works of God by the power of the Spirit, miraculous things, and they uttered with their mouths, He is of Satan. Those evil, wicked words could only come from an evil and wicked heart. They didn't say Jesus was Lord. They said Jesus was satanic. These were self-damning words. These were heartless words. These were ruthless words. These were senseless words. What they said revealed their heart. And it was nothing but poison coming out of their mouths like a snake. It was satanic words coming out of their mouth. This is revealing. And I want, I want to tell you this. Judge them. Before I even, before I even tell you what, what, what the truth about them is, what Jesus said about them is, I want you to judge them. And if you say those things that Jesus is satanic, you've got to say that their hearts are evil. You being evil are speaking evil. Their words reveal they don't know God. Their words reveal their hearts are evil. Their lips said, let's say this, their lips said godly, I'm godly, but their breath smelled like hell. That's hard preaching. You say it's not too bad, Josh. Just wait. Because that's what the Pharisees' words said about their heart. What do your words say about your heart? Here's where we get to, and you have to get here. It's a little bit easier for me on camera. But you have to always go from here, finger here, where we spend most of our time here, to finger here. If I had all the people here, I'd be saying, what do your words say about you? What do your words say about you? What do your words say about you? What do your words, see two fingers back at me, what do your words say about you? But here I am on camera asking this. We've already asked what your life says about you. What do your words say about your heart? Is it? Let's do a diagnostic here. Is your words wholesome, kind, gentle, thoughtful, and encouraging? Is that what's coming out of your mouth on a daily basis? If so, your heart's probably good. But let's take it a step further. Let's check again. <laughs> because you say, yeah, I do pretty good on that. But how about when you're stressed? Is your word still the same when you're stressed? How about when you're angry? Is it still the same words? Because usually when we're angry or when we're stressed, the real us comes out, and the real us comes out from the heart, and it's not also always the wholesome and kind words that we want it to be. How about when you're impatient? There you go. When you're waiting in line somewhere. When you're waiting in line in traffic. How's your words then? 
Or when you're waiting at a doctor's office, how's your words then? Or when you're waiting and, and you're trying to get something done and there's just line after line after line, how's your words then? Oh, we've seen some stuff come out of people in this time that we're living in today where they get impatient, they're isolated, they're angry, they're irritated, they're scared, and oh, what comes out of people's mouths at that point? In this time, we need more wholesome and kind and good and encouraging words than ever before. But now is usually when you hear the worst. What about when you're not in church? Hmm. The word profane. The, the word in Latin actually means outside of church. So there would be words they'd say in church. And then there'd be words that they'd say outside of church. Those were profane. Those were outside the church. In here, you could say all kinds of wholesome and good things. But out there, what are you saying? Your words reveal your heart. And I'm not just going to say your words that are audible. How about your words that are tight? Reveal your heart. That's what Jesus says. These aren't my words. A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, brings forth good things. But an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringing forth evil things. What's down in the well will come up in the bucket. Or is your words, let me give you a list here. I could easily just say potty mouth. Listen. Is your words dirty? We got a list in our house of dirty words. Not to be said. That's not even the dirty words you're thinking of. We don't say hate. We don't say ugly words. Again, is your words dirty? If your words are dirty, they're coming up. They're coming out from a dirty heart. Is your words profane? I'm not going to say this for every one of them, but I might. I might. I got some time. If your words are profane, it shows that you got a profane heart. Is your words cursing? Is your words unkind? There's more unkind words being said in our culture today than I can remember in my time. And if you speak unkind words, you are letting everybody know you have an unkind heart. Me too. Is it deceitful? Lying? Perverse? Destructive? Does your words build up or do they tear down? If your words are destroying, cutting down, and that's another one, cutting, cutting people down. I want to bring you down a notch with my words. It shows that you've got a destructive heart. Is it cruel? There's some cruel words said today. Teenagers say some cruel things on their social media platforms. It's cruel. It's abusive. And it's just showing what kind of heart they have. Mean? Hmm. Is your words mean? You got a mean heart. Is your words biting? You ever, you ever had somebody say something about you and it, it's like they might as well have bit you? Old saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but sometimes words hurt me worse than a broken bone. It's a poison of asps. It's like a dagger sticking you in the, in the back. 
I've had people say things about me just once. Ouch! That hurts. And it lingers. And those kind of words only come from a, a wicked, evil heart. Again, I love that, that, that quote by Adrian Rogers. What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. Is it gossip? Is it bitterness? I've got two more for you. Is it hateful? If it's hateful, hateful words prove a hateful heart. Is it complaining? A complaining mouth. There's people today that complain about every single thing in the world. I heard somebody just the other day. I hope they're not listening. Complaining that their pizza was delivered four minutes too late. A complaining mouth a heart that's not content. Is that your mouth? If so, there's no doubt about it that what comes out of your mouth is revealing who you are in your heart. So what do our words say? I think our words say the same thing or our lips say the same things that our life says. If you want to turn with me, I've got a few passages I want to give you here just as a way of showing you that this isn't a, a, a passage all to itself. Romans 3, verse 10, as, as Paul's preaching here, teaching, writing in, in Romans and giving them the, the proof of how sinful they are. He says in verse 10, as it is written, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none. And he makes this very clear. There's none. Watch this. None that understand it. There's none that seek after God. He shows us how bad our hearts is. We're not even seeking after God. He has to change our heart for we'll even seek after him. We're going in the total opposite direction. There's none that, that is righteous. Not even one. There's none that understandeth. None that seeks after God. They're all, every single one, gone out of the way. They've all become under, uh, together unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. And then he adds this. No, not one. How does he know? Their throat is an open sepulcher. Their throat, their mouth, their lips is an open grave. And out from their mouth is nothing but death. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is on the, under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet, here's their life, is swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they've not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith unto them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. What does our mouth say about our hearts? It tells me that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I have a problem deep down in here, and I need Jesus to fix it. My life says that, and now my lips say that. I've got one more for you, and I've still got a few more minutes, but let me, let me give you this last one. You can turn back with me to Matthew 12. Our life reveals our heart, our lips reveal our heart, and lastly, the last day will reveal our hearts. The last day. And I need to say this because it is inevitable. It says here in verse 36, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they will give account thereof in the, and I would underline this, the day of judgment. 
It is inevitable that there's going to be a day of judgment when you and me and all of us stand before Almighty God and we will give an account for everything that we've done and every word that we've said. We will all stand before God. No one escapes it. No one brings anybody else with them. You and God will have an account. You'll stand before God. We don't know when, we don't know how, but we'll all stand before God. Coronavirus may take you, a car accident may take you, cancer may take you, or the rapture may take you, but you will all stand before God. Everybody will. And you'll give an account. It's coming. You've got to get ready. You've got to check your heart now because it's going to be too late to check it then. Oh, it'll be revealed then. So you've got to be prepared for that day. I had a meeting this week where I had to defend a, a paper before two professors. And I spent two days preparing for it. What are they going to ask? What am I going to say? And I was reading. I was writing. I was planning. I was outlining. I had to be ready. I had to be prepared to stand before two professors before two doctors of ministry. I had to be prepared. I had to be ready. Well, what's the criteria that they're going to pass me or fail me? What's the questions? What will they say? And I was just getting ready to stand before two professors. We're going to stand before Almighty God. We need to be prepared for that. What's He going to ask? What's He going to say? What's the criteria? Will I be ready? We need to prepare. That day's coming. You said, Josh, what, what's going to take place? Here's where you need to, to pay attention. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Another couple places to turn, and, and we'll, we'll finish. But Romans 2, I know you were already in Romans, but go back there. You guys need a little Bible drill time. Romans 2, verses 5 and 6. I want to show you what's going to happen on the day of judgment. I've got three passages I want to show you. On the day of judgment, here's what's going to happen. Romans 2, verse 5. But after thy hardness and impotent heart... Treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation, revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Watch this. Who will pay, who will render to every man according to his deeds. He will render, pay, punish every man according to his deeds, his works, his actions, his life that he lived. Whether it's good or whether it's bad. You and God, and He will roll that footage of our lives. And we'll see if the fruit of our lives was good or if it was bad. And your works and your life and my works and my life at that moment will be revealed for what it really was. My heart will be open and visible for me and God to see. And my works and my life and the fruit of it will be laid bare. Your heart will be revealed then. But again, it will be too late then. Back to Matthew 12. Here he says, and this gets scary. But I say unto you that every idle word, and I would underline that word idle, we will give an account for every single word we say. Not every blasphemous word. Not even every word. But every idle, careless, and empty words. 
Not the worst of our words, but the smallest of our words. We will give an account before God. Not just, and I said that in Romans 2, our deeds, our works, our life that we lived, our life that reveals our heart, we will give an account before God and we'll see our heart then on the last day. And here's our lips, our words, every careless word that we say, we will give an account before God. So it'll be our life laid open before God and our lips will be laid open before God. Every single little tiny word that we have spoken, and we speak a lot. We speak more now than any culture who has ever spoken in the history of the world. There are so so many words coming out. And I know that I speak more than anybody and faster than anybody. I had somebody tell me that this week. They listened to me preach and their kid looked at them and said, it's just nonstop. I get it. I'm fast. Got a lot of things to say in a short amount of time. A lot of words. We talk a lot now. In the old days, you sit at the house like we do now and the only people you talk to was your family. Not a lot of things being said. Now, everybody has a podcast. Everybody's got a YouTube channel and a live feed. And, and everybody's got an opinion about everything. A lot of words being spoken. And we're going to stand before God and give an account for every single word. Wow. And at that moment, when we see all these idle words we're going to account for, our heart will be laid open before God for what it really is, for who we really are. I got another passage. Revelation. Chapter 20. I think if I listen close enough, I can hear those pages turning through the internet. I don't know if you guys hear it, but I think I hear it. Revelation 20. Verse 11. Maybe it's just in my head. <laughs> and I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up their dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up their dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works." Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. When the books are open and the full records are laid bare of my life and my lips, what will it say about my heart? And I'll say this. At that moment, Revelation 20, my biggest problem and your biggest problem will be the heart. That's why I titled the sermon the, the biggest problem. So you better figure this out before you get there. A bad time to realize you've got a wicked heart is on this day. When your life and your lips are laid bare before God and maybe you see it for the first time. Uh-oh. I see now. At that moment, your life will condemn you and your lips will condemn you and you'll be cast in the lake of fire. For my life, yes. My lips, yes. Reveal my heart, yes. That I am hopeless and I am helpless. And that I stand before God the way Isaiah stood before God in Isaiah 6. 
Isaiah was the most holy man in all of Israel. And when he stood before God and the angels were saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The seraphim were flying around the throne. He saw the robe outside the temple and the shaking. At that moment, his heart was revealed for what it really was. And out of his mouth came, Woe is me, for I am undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. The first thing he said was, my mouth reveals my heart. So what do we do? We have just laid bare our heart and realized we've got a bad heart. Evil, wicked, corrupt, ugly. So what do we need? If I've got a bad heart and there's nothing I can do to fix it, then I'm going to have to go to somebody who can fix it. And that's when you see how wicked our lives are and our lips are and how wicked our heart is. You run to the only one that can fix it. I need what we all need is a new heart, a changed heart. And the solution for this is not asking Jesus into your heart. And I have no problem with that. But I want to just change it just a little bit. And I'm not going to ask Jesus into my heart because I understand it. If I ask Jesus into my heart, and that's what we do, you tell kids, ask Jesus into your heart. But they don't understand when you ask Jesus into your heart, what you're saying is, I need Jesus to come into my heart. And not, not really to come into my heart, but to give me a brand new heart. I don't want a new and improved. I want a brand new heart. And that, that's what I need. So what we need to pray instead of asking Jesus into my heart, I need to ask Jesus to change my heart, to give me a new heart, to make me a new man, to give me new thoughts and new emotions and a new will and a new character and a new attitude and to make me a new me. So behold, all things will be, old things are passed away and all things have become new. I need, we all need, the solution to a bad heart is a brand new new heart from God. You say, is that possible? You better believe it is. Listen to this. It was promised in the Old Testament and it has been fulfilled in the new. Watch this. I've got to read this. A new heart. Ezekiel 36. A new heart also will I give you. A new. You see that? A new heart will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I'll take away the bad heart. And I will give you a, a new heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you now. This is wonderful. Now I will cause you. I will make you. This heart will make you walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. He will give us a new heart. And when we get a new heart, this is so good, a new heart means a new life, means new lips, means a new standing before God in judgment. That I won't stand before God in the great white throne and be judged and sent to hell because God has given me a new heart and for forgiving, forgiven me for all my old sins. 
And I have a new and glorious and wonderful heart that God has given me by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have a lot of people in our culture and in our setting here in this context of Big Stone Gap, Virginia, who have a lot of rigid religiosity and routine and ritual and outside they look okay, but deep down they've never had a change of heart. And what he's saying here, same thing to the Pharisees, you've got all the outside trappings, but deep down you need a new heart. And what our area needs, what our people needs, what our nation needs more than anything else in this world is a new heart given by the Spirit of God. That's what we need. That is the solution to our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is a bad heart because a bad heart is a bad life. A bad life is bad lips. Bad lips. All that proves a bad last day of judgment. But if He gives us a new heart, all that changes. New heart, new life. New heart, new lips. New heart, new last day standing before God when I won't be condemned, but I'll be justified just as if I never sinned. So what do we all need? A new heart. That's what we all need. So as I close here today, I'm going to turn to one more passage. My favorite one. Romans 10. I could quote it, but I don't want to get it wrong here. How can you solve your biggest problem today? Romans 10, verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That's what I've preached to you today, the word of faith. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, the first cry of a new heart. <laughs> if there was people here, we'd all be excited. The first cry of a new heart is Jesus is Lord. The Pharisees were crying, Jesus is of Satan. But the first cry, the first cry, a brand new changed heart is a mouth that openly and publicly professes Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Bible even says that you can't say that without the Spirit of God changing your heart. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe where? And the crowd said heart. <laughs> and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead then you shall be saved. For with the heart, again, not that organ that's pumping blood in my chest right now, but the deep down person that I really am. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, lips, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Last verse. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a marvelous verse. And if you miss this, and you don't call upon the name of the Lord, you're going to be in big trouble on the last day. You'll stand before God unprepared. 
and you'll be condemned and cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. That's the truth. That's pulling no punches. That's not backing anything off. That's telling the full truth. You'll be condemned by your life and by your lips and on the last day. But if you here today will call upon the name of the Lord, believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day, if you believe that in your heart, it says here, you shall be saved. No doubt about it. You will be saved. And your life will be changed. Your lips will be changed. And your standing before God on the last day will be changed. But you must call upon the name of the Lord today. Now. At this hour, at this moment. Do some soul searching. Check your heart and see where you stand. And if there's any doubt whatsoever about your standing before God, today, call upon him and he will save you. And if you do that, I would urge you today, or if you have any questions, I would urge you to message us, call us, come down here, make an appointment to meet with me. We would love to hear from you if you want to have any questions about what it means to be saved. So as I close here in prayer, I urge you today, go to a room, go somewhere private, and call out to the Lord and say, give me a new heart. Father, we thank you for your word and our time in it this morning. Very serious passage. Please use these words to convict people's hearts of their need of Jesus as their Savior and Lord. May people even now, as I'm praying, Call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon you for a new heart, for forgiveness of sin. Please, God, save people through the airwaves today. And thank you for giving us this opportunity. May you use it for your glory and for your honor. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.